You want attention. You want to get you to exposing their hypocrisy. You to exposing their inconsistencies. And so they are not satisfied by Jesus. Verse 2. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. So behold means we should be like, something changed, something new, something that actually catch our attention happens. And what happens is someone ill shows up on Sabbath. Someone with an illness. And before, all the controversy between Jesus and the Pharisees has been about healing on the Sabbath. So Jesus is with the Pharisees on the Sabbath, and someone sick shows up. Drastic meant that his body was filling up with fluids. So his body was becoming stored as his body was filling up with fluids. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Okay, so if you notice the lawyers and the Pharisees, they didn't even say anything to Jesus yet. They can sense the opposition in their, in their hearts. He's going to respond to that opposition to them. And he puts them on the spot. He says, Is it right for me to heal on the Sabbath or not? And he's already exposed them for their hypocrisy. And he's trying to do it again. He's putting them on the spot and trying to put them to shame again for their views. But they remained silent. And he took him and healed him. And sent him away. So Jesus, right in front of their faces, does what he wants to do. Jesus doesn't care what we want him to do. Jesus cares about what he wants to do. He heals his hand. He sends him away. And he said to him, he said to the Pharisees, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into the well on Sabbath, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to him. argument as we used before. He's saying, if you have a son, if you have an animal that falls into a well of water, no one's just going to sit back and say, well, it's a Sabbath, I'll come help you tomorrow. No, they go immediately and pull their child, pull their animal out of the water. And Jesus is saying, how can you expect me not to heal this man whose body is filling up with water? Everyone has to point out that this man's body was filling up with water. How can you expect him not to do that? The reason they expect him not to do that is because they had a code of religious rules that didn't necessarily even come from the Bible that said he couldn't do that. And the irony was those rules were supposed to put that into a relationship with God. But they cared more about following those rules than they cared about knowing God. And that's clear because when God showed up in the flesh to be right in front of them, they hated it. They hated it. So we're going to get to that idea later in Luke. And you can follow all the rules but still not be in the right relationship with God. That, that comes up again, especially in chapter 15. But right here, it is clear that they are not in the right relationship with God because they care more about the religious code that they devise than being in a relationship with Jesus, who is God in flesh. And they could not provide these things. So Jesus' argument is unstable. They have no answer to it. They have 
got no answer to his arguments, and he's clearly putting them to shame again. So what's in the background of the verses we're about to get into is that the people at the feast are opposing Jesus. We're going to get a glimpse of how Jesus responds to people who oppose him. Okay? Because this is really good because if you follow Jesus, people are going to oppose you too. And it's not easy to know how to respond to them. So, in verse 7, to these Pharisees who opposed him, Jesus says, Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them. Jesus tells a parable, which is a story or a metaphor that's meant to illustrate. It's a story or a metaphor that's meant to illustrate. He tells a parable, it's a preferred method of teaching for Jesus imagery and stories to make the point. He told the parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor. So the parable that Jesus is going to tell them is against the people that he's with. He's going to point out their flaws. Now Jesus is actually being really loving here. He's taking the time to sit with people who oppose him and point out their sins to him. Every time Jesus brings up your sin, every time Jesus brings up my sin, it's a loving thing, church. It's a loving thing when your sin gets brought up. It's way easier to hide from Jesus. It's way easier to avoid Jesus and avoid your sin. But because Jesus loves us and our sin separates from us, he brings it up. When he noticed how they were chose the places of honor. So they were before they were watching Jesus, weren't they? Okay, now Jesus is watching them. Jesus is sitting around the table and he's got his eyes on these Pharisees, right? He's not watching you. And what does he see? He sees that they're all seeking the places of honor. So back, back then, well, you do the same thing now at a banquet. There's tables and seats that are closer to the center of the room where the people with the most honor sit. Okay? So, apparently what happens at this feast is there's a mad dash into the center of the room to get the best seats of honor. What these Pharisees are doing is they're competing with one another for the most honorable place in the room. And Jesus notices that. And he's going to talk about it. So he says, When you are invited by someone to a wedding do not sit in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come say to you, Give your place to this person, where you will begin and with shame will go to the lowest place. As I said at the beginning of the sermon, shame always follows glory. That's one point Jesus made. This person kind of sees the highest seat, and where does the passage say that he ended up? The lowest seat. Now, how many of you know that Jesus is not telling this parable to instruct people how you better see the thing? 
You know, we talk to you about the way relationships with other people reflect our relationship with God. He's trying to teach us about how to have a relationship with God. And he's using this example of a wedding banquet, something that people are familiar with, to teach about what it's like to have a relationship with God Almighty. And his point is that glory seeking always costs us. The person who thought he was positioning himself in the high seat actually ended up in the lowest seat. Those of you who are interested in pop culture references, the, the tighter he goes to his fist, the more systems slip through his fingers, right? Yes. The tighter someone sees her glory, the tighter they went after more claim and more honor, the lower they ended up. Now let's be honest right now, church. When you become a Christian, your desire to seek glory doesn't go away. My desire to seek glory does not go away. And it shows up in the way that we live. It shows up in the way that we relate to non-believers. It shows up in this church in the way that we relate to each other. This is the sin that I, all of us, need to be convinced of. Our sin of glory seeking. Now I want to point out a few ways that this shows up. There's a few ideas that came to my mind. I'm sure if I took a poll of the room, you'd come up with 20, 30, or 40 more than that. But I want to ask, first of all, who do you tend to gravitate toward the conversation? It's really easy to kind of gravitate when you're in a room towards the people who are the most popular, the most socially adept, the most wealthy or best looking, because when you're seen talking with those people, what they do look like, they seem to look Now, there's nothing wrong with talking about other people who are honorable or whatever, more socially high in a certain situation. But is it your heart's tendency to also intentionally seek out those who are less popular, less socially committed. Because you're not worried about your social standing, you're worried about being a Christian who loves everyone just like Christ does. Two, what do you tend to talk about in conversations with others? It can be very easy to slip in details about yourself that make you seem impressive. Or it would be very easy to take the conversation in a direction that you're very knowledgeable about setting the sound of an expert. Taking the seat of honor in a conversation looks like directing the conversation in a way that you can disclose impressive things about yourself or talk about things that you sound impressive. Now again, there's nothing wrong with talking about things that are important to you. Okay? There's nothing wrong with talking about things that are important to you. But is there a tendency for you to manipulate or drain or slip those things into the conversations that all seem to have there or frequency seems to have there? It's another way for us to church. One more I thought. How do you use social media? There's a legitimate way to use social media. Share updates on your life to keep other people informed and celebrate things in your life. There's also a way where you're curating an image of yourself as happy, as successful, 
and you feel this burden to continually curate and portray yourself to the world on the internet. I think that's another way that we can be more seekers, that we can seek honor. See, a lot of us aren't being invited to wedding day because we're fighting over the best seats. That hasn't happened to me. But I have, I have conversations every day, and every, Jesus is talking about social situation, and every social situation you're involved in, there's a place of honor. And the question is, are you going to try to seek that place of honor? And those are some ways that I think that we are righteous to seek that place of honor. If you boil it down to the bare bones of all those examples, the common denominator, I believe, is seeking attention. Yourself 
putting other people in place of honor. Then Jesus says something amazing will happen. So that when your host comes, he may say to your friend who will hire that you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. Say again, Jesus is not teaching us how to get better seats to the red. He's teaching us how to be in a relationship with God. And something wild happens. Something wild happens when you live always referring to honor to other people. Is God going to say you come up higher? Come up higher. I'm going to explain more in a moment what that refers to. But what happens is God is going to show honor to those who show honor to other people. Now, what's the reason for that? What's the reason for that? Jesus gives us a reason in verse 11. You see that word for at the start of verse 11? That word means because. It's another word for because. This is the reason why. Jesus says, for everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. And he who, sorry, I read that wrong. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. All throughout the gospel of Luke, this has been a theme. God's going to take the proud and lower them. He's going to take the humble and exalt them. Jesus says this to Mary, or Mary, mother of Jesus, actually sings about this in chapter 1. She says, He has brought down the mighty from the thrones and exalted those of humble estate. So the question I want us to ask is why? Why does God prefer to lower the proud and lift up the humble? Why, why does God act that way towards us? And when we look through the Bible, I think one verse makes it very clear. One verse from the Old Testament. This is a theme in the book of Isaiah. God lowering the proud and lifting up the humble. And Isaiah 2.11 is going to help us see why God asks him this way. It says, The highest of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of man shall be humble. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. The pride will be brought low so that God alone can be exalted in that day. The reason why God passed down the vow is because it is His purpose to exalt and lift up His name above every other name. That's what He's doing. He's lifting up his name above every other name because he is the most worthy. I want you to ponder and think for a moment and have a deep close your eyes. Think of the most worthy and exalted being you can possibly imagine, church. No, your eyes. You're not looking at God.
chapter 6. Says, "Be your king, Zion, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, which with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, with two he flew. And one called out to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory." The sad reality here is that every time that we try to exalt ourselves in glory to see, we're trying to redress the glory that belongs to God to us. Glory seeking is being a glory thief. It's something we never want to do. It's trying to take glory from the only one who deserves it above all others. I know Jesus is talking about conversations and social situations between people. But he's also talking about the biggest thing, our relationship to God, and that filters out in how he talks about the people. When James is summarizing the Old Testament and the teaching on this, he says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So when we're born thief, when we're born seeking, we're opposing God because we're trying to take the glory that he alone deserves. And we should feel the way to that. It's not a small thing to try to lift yourself up to God's throne. That's not a small thing at all. You should feel the weight of that, that we all, including myself, have a glory eating problem. We all are prepared to for glory eating together. Church that I want us to walk away with this morning 
is that the only way to receive glory from God is to give it away to others. The only way to receive recognition from God is to give it away to others. The only way to receive praise from God is to give it away from others, to others. I want all of us in this room to one day be in heaven being receiving praise from God. That's how we were saying. Yeah. Praise the love and praise the love But nevertheless, him acknowledging you and saying, This is someone who's important. The only way any of us ever get there is if we give it away. You don't get there by trying to take it, you get there by trying to give it away. The reason why. Uh, I was very 
much for bringing this case up. So which job must be added for contempt or innocence? Do not misunderstand me there. George will feel the so bright star in the firmament of God's glory and will stand so near the throne that one like me, who less than least, will never catch a glimpse of him. One such as me, who less than least, Whoever that you was in. I doubt if John Wesley always had an attitude that him and George Whitfield would have ever divided. And I doubt that this church will ever divide as long as we have that attitude. And I think that these words capture so well what Jesus says when he says, Seek the lowest seat for yourself. And we would all see ourselves. As one who less things and interact with each other in that way. I think that events like these are so beautiful because they point to the most beautiful time anyone ever heard honor and glory to someone else. Later on in the Gospel of Luke, probably chapter 23, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the ruler scoffed at him, saying, Save others. Let us save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering his sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Church, look at this moment. Jesus is being treated with ultimate dishonor as he is wrongly crucified and mocked while it's happening. And at this very moment, he is saying, forgive them. Jesus is treating these soldiers as if they were more significant than themselves. The reason that any of us are Christians today is because Jesus treated us as if we were more significant than himself while we were opposing him. And when we really believe that, when that really affects us, while that changes the way we start to relate to other people, but that's that one one million people in Christ. Where unbelievers are being baptized. 
believe who we serve to do harm in the way of others. This is what will make our community feel supernatural. When someone walks into this room and they are blown away that other people treat them like they're important. Because it's so rare in the world today for other people to treat you like you're more important than they are. And once we're doing that, we're calling your attention to God. Every one of us wants to see the invisible gospel become visible. We want to see the invisible gospel become visible in our community. And as we die ourselves to show other people honor, it's becoming visible. That's right. It's becoming visible here. We're becoming the kind of family that Jesus died and Lord made us into. Church, our main point this morning says the only way to get glory is to give it away. The only way to get glory is to give it away. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you that you treated us as more significant than yourself. And we just ask that our whole lives be characterized by the exact same thing. We can never stop being glory thieves and glory seekers unless we can. But because we can, we can live freely giving glory to others and give glory to you. May we do that in the next few minutes as we worship.